0: Romans chapter 10 I would uh, consider me coming to Christ was just a miracle. I mean, I was out there trying to find my identity, sense of belonging, purpose in things and people far from God and certainly far from Christ. And yet, once I came to Christ, and that was a pattern. That was a that was a several year period of time. Once I came to understand forgiveness and the greatness of Christ and true relationship with the living God, that, that changed everything for me. And I really wanted the people in my life to know Christ in a very real way. Uh, so I started talking with people, friends, uh, friends back in Minnesota. I went to high school, even though I was back in Oregon, um, Try to engage my family members. And I'd have to say that for the most part, it was met with a lot of resistance, rejection, people not interested, given the old stiff arm. I'd, I'd imagine that you you can relate to this. If you've truly come to know Christ, you want people to know him. And uh, you find out there's a lot of folks who are just not interested whatsoever. They've been inoculated through some church attendance or they're involved in a particular denomination. Like, I don't want to talk about it. That religion is off limits, right? Ever had conversations like that? And I'd have to say it was really kind of one awkward, disappointing, discouraging Uh, conversation after another i remember um one time i had this little deal i'd play guitar sing songs and my folks really liked that and they'd have people my dad worked for the government sometimes some government folks would be there and and i'd I'd always end my little concert with amazing grace and this time i was doing it with family and we had some of our extended family there and after i finished it had this conversation and one of them said so do you really think we're all going to go to hell?" And I, I said, well, the Bible is clear that if you don't believe in Christ, you can't go to heaven. And then one of them said, well, at least we'll all be in good company. And they're all laughing, you know, like, oh, no. and, I, and this isn't even funny. How in the world do you reach people that are far from God and making that tough? How do you do that? You know, if you can't answer that question then you probably don't have a lot of reaching out with the gospel in your life. You have been shut down. You're gonna, you'll, you'll be involved in a church. You'll give money. You'll serve. You will find some folks that are, oh, you like Jesus. So do I. Great. We can talk about that. But you will not engage, and you, in effect, have been silenced if you can't answer that question. That's why Romans 10 is such a fascinating chapter in the Bible. It shows us Really, how do you reach people that are far from Christ? You know, in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 33, remember where we ended last week? There are two responses to Christ. Receive him joy, reject him, and try to do life on your own and, and will eventually face his judgment. Romans 9, 33 says, "'Just as it is written, "'Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling "'and a rock of offense, "'and he who believes in him will not be disappointed.'" For, G, for the Jews, Jesus the Messiah stumbling. Man, we're tripping over that. We do not want him. We reject him. For the believer, Christ is the rock of our salvation. He means everything to us. And from the great theology of Romans chapter 9, where we see the sovereignty of God and salvation, we have Romans chapter 10, which is perhaps the greatest missionary chapter in the Bible. It is the text that shows us the absolute importance of us going forward with the gospel in our communities, in our families, in our world. And if you're struggling with the theology of Romans chapter 9, I want you to don't take my word for it. You examine the scriptures because it is from the bedrock of Romans 9 that you have Romans 10. How do you and I reach people that are far from God? Well, first of all, you're going to have to have a heart for the lost Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And this isn't the first time that Paul has spoke of his great heart's desire. It's for that the Jewish people, which he is among them, for them to know Christ. It is for their salvation. Now, the Jewish people, for basically all of them, when, G- when Paul was converted... And that was a pretty big deal because he had been studying under one of their top rabbis, Gamaliel. And when he actually placed his trust and faith in Christ, he was pretty much met with widespread rejection. They made his life miserable. It would be safe to say they hated him. And yet, when you find that the love of Christ controls you, even the people that make your life difficult, who really despise your so-called faith in Jesus... You want them to know, even if they reject you and close you down and think you're, you know, out there, or even worse yet, absolutely stupid, you want to see them come to know Christ. Remember uh, what he said in Romans chapter 9, how the chapter began in verses 2 and 3 in chapter 9? He says, you know what? I have a great sorrow and I have unceasing grief in my heart. In fact, in the next verse, he said, I would wish that I could be accursed. It is impossible for me to be accursed, but I would be willing to sacrifice myself and my salvation if it would mean that my people would truly come to know Christ as he really is. And notice what he says in chapter 10, verse 1. My prayer to God. You always know what's important to you by what you pray for. Do you know that? That will tell you your prayer life, whatever, whatever it looks like, Tells you much about your heart and the things that are most important to you. For Paul, he says, I I want them to desperately know Christ. If you're going to reach people that are far from Him, you have to have a heart for the lost. And God cultivates that as you start to see the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. Well, there's something else you need to know if you're going to reach people far from Christ. You not only have to have a heart for the lost, but you have to be clear about Christ. Just like spirituality today, it is so ultra confusing. There are so many different interpretations and verses and and quote unquote scriptures and holy books and ideas out there. If you start looking at the panorama of world religions and you start looking at all the different ways that people say that you can truly have a relationship with God, it is very confusing out there. Shouldn't surprise us that a lot of folks are like, how could anyone ever know? Or all roads lead to the same place because that's, that's good because it is widespread confusion out there. In fact, even in churches, it's really easy to be confusing about Christ. What you're going to do if you're going to really reach people for him, we have to be crystal clear about who Christ is and what he's accomplished. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, you know, I testify about these Jewish people. I testify about them. They, they have a zeal for God, but it is not in accordance to knowledge. Yeah, there's a fire. They will put themselves with the different celebrations, the feasts. They've got the rituals. They will keep the law. Not only keep the law, but they're trying to, but they've got a bunch of traditions to try them to keep the law. They've got a zeal for God. Notice what he says, but you know what? It's not in accordance with what is really true. It says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They are trying to create righteousness on their own. They will not submit to righteousness as God has established it in Christ. You see, God has made it clear, you and I, people, we're sinful. We need the righteousness of God. And you know how that happens? That Jesus Christ entered into humanity, lived a perfect life, fulfilled all the laws demands, dies willingly on a cross... Is buried and is raised on the third day, and by virtue of his resurrected life, his perfect righteousness is transferred to the account of anyone who will believe in him. You can't earn it, there is nothing that you can do. You simply believe and trust in Christ, and you're united with him in his righteousness. That is the gospel. And the Jewish people said, uh uh uh, no way. We are going to do it on our own. We got good works. We got religious deeds. And frankly, you see that in today. Even in churches, you got plenty of folks that feel like you just got to do these things, follow these rituals, take part in these sacraments, uh, follow this particular code, do these things, bow here, say this now, show up then. But friends, that's not how you receive righteousness. You might want to put a mark by verse for christ is the end of the law it's the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes all the law was doing was pointing the figure finger to the way to walking with god and in effect it shows us that we are unable to do so that's why we need a savior but the goal is of all the ceremonies, the priesthood, the practices, all of the covenants that God gave his people Israel, all of them pointed to one, Jesus, the Messiah. And so when it talks about the goal, it is speaking of the fact that Christ is the fulfillment of all the requirements, but he is also the end goal, the object by which all of these things find their focus. But it's kind of like this. Imagine it from God's perspective. What does all this religious activity that's going on, what does it look like from his perspective? Does it look like, from God's perspective, like people that are out golfing but don't understand the purpose? No, this isn't a joke. But What do you think the purpose of golf is? Does anybody know? No, that probably explains a lot when you're out there on the golf course. If you don't know what you're trying to do, okay, I'll make this real easy for you. The goal of golf is to get the little white ball and to hit it with your golf club into the little hole that's the goal (gasps) well hopefully that wasn't a big revelation for you that have been golfing for like 20 years okay that is the goal but could you imagine if you like you didn't know that and so you just kind of hit that ball everywhere wherever whenever like you don't really know what are you doing i'm golfing well you don't have a perfect you know what what you're trying to accomplish no but i'm out here and i'm sure having a good time right that doesn't make sense because the goal is to get the ball in the hole the goal is for you and i not to do a bunch of religious activity, not to make ourselves earn God's righteousness. The goal is that you and I would believe in Christ. That's what he says, verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Are you right with God? Yeah. Why? oh, I got a church, I'm in, this, I, I'm in this denomination, my parents were believers, I've done this, I, I'm in a Bible study. If that is your response to that, you don't understand the righteousness of Christ. He's fulfilled it. You believe. The reason why you come to worship services and you're involved in Bible studies and that we do good works and that we go and serve the poor and we care for people and we share the gospel, you know why we do that, don't you? It's because we're already united with Christ, the righteous one. That is the fruit and the outpouring of it. And so he says in verse five, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. You know, what he's saying is like Moses gave you the law. You try to follow that. Well, if that's, if that's your life, then you receive the, the, he says, based on the law, that's what you see, that kind of righteousness. But the point is, you can't actually live it fully out, can you? You always fall short. You never love God with your whole soul, mind, and strength, do you? You don't love your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, we try and we know that we should, but we really don't. All of that shows you can't even keep the law. But he says, but the righteousness, verse 6, the righteousness based on faith, not works, not things that you do, not attendance activities, any sort of sacramental idea, righteousness is based on what? Faith, belief. And he says in verse 6, it's not some great odyssey that you put yourself in to try to do something. He says, the righteousness which is based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And now he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 13 and following. He says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is proverbial to to speak of something that was humanly impossible, the idea that you could ascend to heaven. Can you do that? No. Is it necessary to do some sort of great odyssey, some sort of major miraculous trip to go to heaven to receive God's righteousness? Actually, you don't have to because he says that is to bring Christ down. Christ has already come. He's already entered into humanity. He actually came from heaven to earth, the incarnation. Or he says, verse seven, or who will descend into the abyss or the depth? abyss has the idea of the place of the dead or the underworld. Do you have to go to the abode of, the, of death to receive the righteousness of God? And he says, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. The Messiah has already risen from the grave. In fact, he has conquered the foe of death. He says, you can't do those things. Those things are humanly impossible. He says, but what, is he, what does it say? Verse eight, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. It is readily available. In fact, you can speak about it. You can know him in your heart. You don't have to do anything because it's already been accomplished for you through Christ. Now, when you're looking at that, uh, when he's quoting this from Deuteronomy, you're saying like, whoa, okay, that's kind of difficult stuff here. Sending to heaven, the whole idea of Christ coming down, going to the grave, coming back up, speaking of the resurrection. Those two particular doctrines were the most difficult for the Jewish people. The idea of the incarnation that Messiah would actually enter into the humanity, that God the Son would literally do so. And the second one, the resurrection. But they are fundamental to the faith that God gives humanity of truly knowing God. The incarnation, the coming of Christ, the resurrection. And he says, this word is near to you. You don't have to try to do something that is humanly impossible. God has already accomplished it in Christ. To make it really simple, these are aw- this is awesome. Look at verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved did you see that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as lord god the preeminent one, and you believe in your heart you truly you truly believe that he is the risen lord that he has satisfied god's just wrath against sin you will be saved you will never face the penalty for your own sin because you've been united with christ You see, the outward confession stems from the profound inward conviction. And like Jesus said, the mouth always speaks from that which fills the heart. If you truly know Christ, it's kind of hard not to speak about him. And it just kind of flows from you. Why? Because Jesus has changed everything for you. And he he just says in verse 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth... He confesses, resulting in salvation. But it is a matter of what? Belief, expression, trusting in the heart. It results in salvation. Now, here's something. People say, all right, I, uh, I believe that Jesus came to the earth. I believe he's the savior. I believe he actually rose again. And you say it in such a way that you're just like, I acknowledge those facts to be true. Just like you might acknowledge certain facts about who won particular football games yesterday. Like, yep, I believe that happened and, I, and I, I believe that's true. But that's not what he's talking about here. When he talks about belief and confession of the heart and that you're truly trusting is that this is a heart conviction. It's more than an intellectual assent like, yeah, I believe these things to be true, but that you are truly trusting in Christ. They mean something to you. Do you know that the demons... They also believe that Jesus came to the earth and he rose again. They believe that. They actually shudder at that truth. But are they trusting in Christ? Do they worship him? No. But they certainly believe those things to be true because they are true. I, I tell you, I really hope that no one listening to me has an intellectual assent to, well, I believe about the resurrection and that Jesus died. Yeah, yeah. But you really are not trusting in him. Because you will have a horrid eternity. You know the truth. You actually believe intellectually, but you've never truly trusted. And then this idea that, well, okay, all right, I will believe that Jesus is my Savior because, man, I do not want to go to hell. I certainly want to pay for my own sins. I'm scared. I don't want any of that. I believe, but this whole idea that Jesus is Lord no, don't wait a second here. I'm Lord. I'm not going public with that, but my whole life looks like that. I do what I want, when I want. I will design and shape my spirituality on how I want it. I will be involved in worship. I will be involved with God's people to how I want to do it. It's an individualized, customized faith. I'll do it. I'm actually the Lord. Actually, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith in Christ recognizes that not only is he the Savior from your sin, but that he is the Lord of your life. You have a new orientation, and it is Jesus. Now, there is no one that I know of that perfectly has yielded everything to Jesus as Lord. It's an ongoing process of understanding and yielding. The more you know about Christ and you're learning about him, the more your heart just yields to him and wants to walk with him and have him truly at the center of your life. So don't get the idea that you have to know everything about him, but it's the path. Of belief. You see that in those who are truly his. And you need to know something, that the resurrection is central to our faith. No resurrection of Jesus, then Christianity is just a nice ethical system and has a lot of good results, but it doesn't yield salvation. Central to who we are is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ shows that everything that God said about his son and that jesus said about himself is true that he is god and it also authenticated that Christ's work on the cross is finished it truly did satisfy god's just wrath against sin and so we find the gospel and he says in verse 11 for the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed you and i we must believe and if you do You will never be disappointed, not in this life. And certainly when judgment bears down on all of the unbelieving humanity, you're gonna find out. God truly comes through with his promises and has secured you in Christ. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And friends, this is the gospel. The gospel is all that God has done, is doing, and will do through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and you and I are called to believe if we 're going to reach people far from Christ, we 've got to be clear about who He is and what he 's accomplished. And he says, "This is awesome news, verse twelve, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. it doesn 't matter if you have a Jewish background or you 're a Gentile. For the same Lord he is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Riches of mercy and of grace. It doesn't matter your background. You might be the most religious person around. Or you might be about as far gone and pagan as possible. You might claim to be an atheist or an agnostic. It doesn't matter your background. What matters is, are you truly trusting in Christ? Because if you do and when you do, you receive riches beyond imagination. And I'm not talking about material riches that is so petty compared to the spiritual resources that we have in Christ. His grace, forgiveness, peace, eternity, hope, identity, security, strength, all of this comes from him. You will never be disappointed. In fact, he says, verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel chapter 2, verse 32. The Lord is the God of the nations. And it doesn't matter your background, what kind of religious activities you've been through, even what kind of sin you've put your life through. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord, you call upon Jesus, you indeed will be rescued. You'll be saved. You remember John three sixteen? Oh yeah, I know that verse, right? And you know it so well that you forgot what it actually says. What does it say? listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You and I must believe. We believe in Jesus who was given for us. I was doing some reading, and I came across this this is a fascinating little situation in American history. During the presidency of Andrew Jackson, there were two men by the name of George Wilson and James Porter who got into a pattern of robbing the United States mail carriers in Pennsylvania. They eventually were apprehended, and on December 6th, 1829, both of them were captured and they were tried. On May 1st, 1830, both of the men were found guilty of six indictments, which included the robbery of the mail and putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. Okay, they were found guilty. So I want you to think, so you heard about that, like what happened today. What kind of punishment do you think they might get? Hmm? Five years in jail, probation. What do you think would happen if you took some mail and you made a mail carrier's life miserable? Well, I'll, I want you to know what the sentence was. They received their sentences on May 27th, execution by hanging. You will not mess with our mail carriers. You will not steal our mail. mail. It is interesting, when you look at justice in America, things were a lot more severe back then, weren't they? So these two men were supposed to be executed July 2nd, 1830. And for James Porter, that's exactly what happened. He was executed by hanging. But George Wilson had influential friends that actually had the ear of President Andrew Jackson, and they pleaded with him to pardon George Wilson. This was a first-time offense, and so they kept pleading with him, and finally on June 14th of 1830, two weeks before he is supposed to be executed, President Jackson issues a formal pardon to George Wilson. And in this pardon, then, he would be released from the crimes that let, would lead to his execution. He would only have to serve 20 years in prison. But what makes this fascinating was that George Wilson refused the pardon. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want it. Now, no one in their right mind could think, like, wait, why would, why would you do that? And so they actually uh, brought this back and In court and the official report the united states versus george wilson they return him to court and they try to force the pardon on him and this is what it was recorded about george wilson he chose to quote waive and decline any advantage or protection which might be supposed to arise from the pardon referred to wilson also stated that he quote had nothing to say and that he did not wish in any manner to avail himself in order to avoid sentence now, since this, this had never happened in the United States that someone would re- reject a presidential pardon, they asked the Supreme Court to intervene and to rule whether someone could or could not reject a presidential pardon. Chief Justice John Marshall handed down the court's decision, which read in part, quote, "...a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not completed without acceptance." It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. Wilson rejected, and he was subsequently executed by hanging. And I tell you this because that is a lot like our situation, isn't it? We are serious sinners, right? Uh-huh, yes. Yes. We are so self-centered. We put God on a shelf. We've done things that we are absolutely ashamed of. We, we live life on our own. We've rejected God, and we're guilty. And so God has made a divine pardon possible for you. He literally sends his son to demonstrate his love, satisfies his just wrath, raises, raises him from the grave, authenticates to the world. You want gut relationship with me? It comes through my son. You must believe. But if you're like yeah yeah i believe that he rose from the dead and all that sort of stuff but you know what i will not receive the pardon you will face the consequences for your sin friends if you're here today and you've never trusted him you must do that now you cannot you you simply cannot face an eternity apart from him and now's your time of opportunity and friends if we're going to reach people that are far from god We've got to have a heart for the lost, and we've got to be clear about Christ. There's something else we need to know. we got to be going forth with the gospel. It doesn't, doesn't that make sense? If we know the truth, we've received Christ, we're the ones that have actually been redeemed, we actually believe, it would make sense that we are go forth and actually engage the people that are lost. And that's exactly what the text says. Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now he's going to ask a series of rhetorical questions. Can you help me out? How in the world are they going to believe in a Jesus they never heard about? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And if you get the idea like, oh, yeah, how are they going to hear without some guy that's at a church or wearing some sort of nice little robe or something like that? How are they going to hear? No. It's how are they going to hear apart from someone speaking it? It's not just the pastor or the missionary that's a preacher. It's actually every believer that's the preacher, the one that announces this good news. And he says, verse 15, and how will they preach unless they are sent? Here we have this great passage on missionary motives and why we do what we do. This is why Christians share the gospel. This is why we move into our communities, into our schools, into our workplaces, in our communities. This is why we speak, because he says, verse 15, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things from God's perspective, all who have been sent out and actually speak and share Christ, that is beautiful in his sight. Their feet are beautiful because they are actually bringing the message of the gospel to the people most in need. And that is what we've got to do. We have to speak. I mean, just think about it. If you're going to reach someone, you've got to speak. We have to stop being so fearful i don't know what they're going to think of me if i tell them about christ or try to enter into a spiritual conversation they might reject me they might want nothing to do with me and after all i'm sovereign right it's all about me and my happiness and everybody liking me right i wouldn't want anybody to not like me so i'm never going to speak about anything that might cause any problems right And in effect, the church has been silenced. We'll do good things. We'll clean up somebody's trash. We'll feed folks. But to tell them the gospel, oh, that's where to draw the line. Because they might reject that. If they reject that, they'll reject me. And I will not have it. Who are you living for? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The kids on your team, the folks in your school, the folks that you work with, they need to hear. How are they going to hear apart from you saying anything about it? We've got to be willing to take some risks. Risk. We've got to have courage in Christ. I was uh, reading this interesting uh, situation about Queen Victoria, Great Britain's longest-living monarch. In fact, she is the longest-living female monarch of all time. Her reign was 63 years and 7 months. She died January 22, 1901. Her life was the Victorian era. Have you ever heard of that? It all stems from this lady right here she was in attendance at St. Paul's Cathedral at one time, listening to a sermon that greatly interested her. And afterwards, she went and approached her personal chaplain to ask this question, can one be absolutely sure in this life of eternal safety? And this chaplain, talk about a golden opportunity, the Queen of England. He ought to get another job. This was sorry. He, this is what he responded to her. He told her, he said, there's really no way to be absolutely sure. Well, this interchange was published in what is called the Court News, and it came to the notice of a particular man by the name of John Townsend. After reading Queen Victoria's question about eternal security, can you really know for certain that you are saved and you will spend eternity with Christ? He decided that he should act. And so he wrote just a very brief little letter, and I'd like to read it to you. It's short. It's short. To her gracious majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria. Nice entry, All right? That's pretty good. From one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands but a heart-filled love, and because I know that we can be absolutely sure now for our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your grac- most gracious majesty to read the following passages of Scripture. John three sixteen romans 10 9 and 10 i sign myself your servant for jesus sake john townsend now john townsend also involved people to pray as he himself were praying he felt like this was an amazing opportunity and it's somewhat of a risk i mean you ever written to like the president or some king or queen about something that eternal matters like this well in about two weeks he received a following letter to john townsend I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me and trust by God's grace to meet you in that home of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And she signed it, Victoria Guelph. Friends, that's what we need to do. We've got to engage. You cannot let fear always paralyzing your life. We are called to live and to walk by faith. And next week, I'm going to give you just a lot of very practical ways we can be mobilized for the master with the gospel. You see, if we're going to reach people far from Christ, we've got to go forth with the gospel. But finally, I want to say something. You've just got to leave the results with God. And notice how he concludes this amazing chapter. He says, verse 16, However they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And here's that great text, Isaiah 52, verse seven. He says, who's believed our report? Frankly, very few. He says, so faith comes by from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. People have to hear about Christ and faith comes by hearing from the word of Christ. They believe in him. But he says, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Is the problem that the people of Israel haven't heard the gospel, haven't heard that Jesus is risen from the grave? Indeed they have. Verse 18, now he quotes from Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, you know what? I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. And by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And he says, and Isaiah says, and he just keeps quoting all these Old Testament scriptures that show that God has fully intended that he is going to bring many Gentiles into his kingdom, that most, most of the Jews will reject his Messiah. There's only going to be a remnant that's going to be saved. And so Isaiah, he is very bold and says, verse 20, i was found by those who did not seek me and i became manifest to those who did not ask for me and that has been the case for about two thousand years the gospel gospel goes forth very few jewish people ever will ever believe that jesus is the messiah on the other hand for two thousand years ago now we've got all these people that are about as pagan as possible they're wild they're out of control they have nothing to do with the jewish faith they don't know anything about the bible somebody comes and tells them about christ and forgiveness you believe in him and they're like I, man, I really want relationship with God. I do want forgiveness, and I will believe in Jesus. And that has been the pattern now for the last 2,000 years. But for Israel, look at verse 21. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God has said, I have literally, through my people, day and night, spread out my hand of invitation The gospel is going forth throughout the entire Roman Empire. Now it has gone out through the entire world. And there are so many people that are obstinate and resistant to me. And so you know what we need to do, friends? We need to leave the results with God. You cannot manipulate someone, talk someone into believing into Jesus, force them into it. No, you're called just to be faithful to share. Dr. Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, he's, he's since passed away. It's now called Crew. On several different occasions, I had the opportunity of meeting this man. And he had a really simple definition of evangelism. He said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. You just share under the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Christ, and you leave the results to God. He'll take care of it and so that's exactly what we do. God reaches the lost through the people who have received Christ. And I'll tell you, it's hard. Most people will reject you. You are going to have to grow up. You're going to have to move to a different center where Christ is at the heart, and God is seeking to be glorified. I shared with my family multiple times, my one brother Big guy, he's. I look like a midget next to him. He got a full ride as a lineman playing college football. Uh, I shared the gospel with him before, you know, like not interested. He uh, gets to campus. He's invited as a freshman in college to go to a fellowship of Christian athletes state convention in Tennessee. So this coach invited him. So he ends up going. Uh, Peyton Manning actually went to this exact same conference, and while. He's there, this guy speaks and keeps telling them about the gospel and the need to believe in Christ and it clicks and he does and he believes in him. In fact, his life started to change and eventually he married a Christian gal and now he is seeking to lead a Christ-centered home. Uh, He is a lieutenant on a police force outside of Nashville. He is the commander of the SWAT teams that they have and he leads his SWAT teams in prayer before every single mission he's actively involved in his church he's got a bible study but he once was far from god and god is in the process of bringing salvation and it's happening even today and it's our love for christ that guides our approach to the lost we got to have a heart for the lost we got to be clear about christ we got to go forth with the gospel and we just leave the results with him let's pray lord i want to thank you for an amazing chapter of the bible And God, if there is someone here who has never trusted in Jesus, would you right now have them pray with me and say, God, I turn from sin and myself, and I believe. I believe in Jesus as Savior for my sin, and I turn my life over to him as Lord of my being. And Father, for the rest of us, would you mobilize us for your kingdom work, for your glory? We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.